Today is May 17th, 2015, and we are in Worlds of Books. Our book for today is Dark Tide, the 1919 Molasses Flood in Boston. I, I don't have that I I, I don't have that properly done by um, Stephen Puleo, P-U-L-E-O. And um, Alan, do you have anything for us? Yeah, I've, I've got a little bit. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I didn't read this stuff enough time to memorize it, but uh, 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 Stephen Puleo has his own website if anybody's interested. It's just www.stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Puleo, P-U-L. EO.com, and he's got a uh, uh, a subpage called about what is it about hyphen Steve S T E V E, and uh, I read it. Uh, I, I'll just do a quick blurb. He uh, he's written like five books. This this dark tide was his first book. I think it was published around 2003. All five, all all five of his books. Hang on, let me turn my speech off. All five of his books uh, are set in the Boston area. He he teaches at Suffolk University in Boston, uh, and all of his books have a, a Boston uh, flair. And the five, I'll try to read the five of them. There, uh, this was the first one, Dark Tide, and let's see. His second one is called uh, Due to Enemy. Uh, hang on, I can't read it. Oh well, uh, he's got five. Hang on, man. Let me change my magnification one more. Due to enemy action, maybe is his second one. Uh, the third one is the well. His most recent one's called the Caning, uh, the assault that drove America to civil war, uh, a city. So grand, I think, is his uh, next to the latest one, and uh, that's about all. That's about all. All I can say. I, they, they've all been favorably reviewed there in, in in Boston regional area. Uh, he obviously lives in that that part of the uh, the country. I have no idea how old he is. He did. Uh, I guess his authors do uh, on their own websites. Uh, they don't normally put their own date of birth, and I couldn't find how old he is. He is married, and. Uh, like I said, he is a, he is a professor at the Suffolk uh, uh, University in, in Boston, and uh, uh, this is obviously a uh, a subject dear to his heart. He he writes all of his books kind of have a historical theme to them, like like this one. And uh, I'll quit yammering since I'm not making much sense, and uh, we can uh, you can give us comments about the book. Thank you. Um, so. Tell us how you liked the book and what you liked about it, and I'll open the mic. Um, this is Michelle. I, I really like this book. I, I thought it was just an excellent story. Um, he's a very good writer, and um, I was actually in Boston a couple of years ago, maybe about three years ago, and I don't remember hearing about this story. Um, and I, I've been to Boston a few times as well, and I, I, I just don't ever remember hearing about it. Um, I liked how he set the context for what happens. I like how he told us about 
um, the Italian community there. I liked how he told us about the anarchist movement. Um, and, you know, even like the little details, how the kids would go up with their pails to capture some molasses. I just thought it was a really interesting, it was a lot more interesting than I thought because I really didn't know what to expect with this title. But um, it was a very good book, a really good choice. I like the book too a lot. Um, and in fact, I thought, you know, this guy could write historical fiction. The kind of details that he gave and the, just the things that Michelle said, those, those things made all the difference in how interesting it was. And he could really write historical fiction. And I wonder if anyone has suggested it to him. I, I might go on his website and, and, and see, if, you know, if he can make a comment like that. But, um, and I love the fact that the attorney for the poor victims really ended up getting double the amount that the courts had given for them. Uh, it, it really made, <laughs> made me happy for them. I uh, enjoyed the book also. It was interesting that um, the book was told more um, uh, as a uh, as a as a uh, a, sto a story, almost like almost uh, not necessarily like you would expect in an historical treatise, uh, and it made for really interesting reading uh, because of that. Um, you know, it wasn't a fight to memorize this and memorize that, although there were a lot of characters involved in keeping them, keeping everybody straight. It was uh, uh, fascinating to find out, you know, what he was able to apparently research as far as uh, the uh, people involved were concerned and uh, the fact that uh, uh, yes indeed big money drove that whole project and company profits but uh, it was quite it was quite a read you know I forgot to mention that I also I listened to an interview with the author he's a very good talker too he's a very good speaker besides being a very good writer and one of the things that he mentioned that was really interesting was he went to I'm sorry I don't remember which archives it was but he, there was an archivist there and he asked her can you find a transcript for the legal case which went on for about a year or so I mean there it must have been, and she searched and searched and searched. It's really interesting to hear what actually happened during this case, which I, I guess hadn't been uh, talked about before. And and it was it was like like everybody's saying, it was a really excellent book. Can I ask where you found that podcast? You know, I always really like to listen to authors if I can find them. So a lot of times, I just put in the author's last name and the word podcast or the title of the book and podcast um, in the Fiction Old and New group that we had on Tuesday night, um, Ian McEwen, we, we read that book, The Children's Act, and that was a pretty easy one to find because he's a really popular author. And some, so sometimes there are, but if you just put in the author's name and the word podcast um, or the title of the book and the word podcast, um, 
I forgot which uh, I sent it to Sherry as well she listened to it also um, but he was a very good speaker um, besides being a very so I could see how he could be a teacher because he was he was an excellent speaker as well so that's usually how I find um, podcasts for the authors yeah unfortunately I don't have the link anymore that Michelle sent but I listened to that interview too and he was very interesting um, I really liked the book too as I mentioned before we started I read it soon after it came out on Bard, so it's been a while. So I'm glad Jill mentioned how the trial came out because I couldn't remember for sure. Uh, there were lots of, like you said, interesting bits of trivia. I mean, the fact that the guy painted the water tower the same color as the molasses to try to hide the leaks and stuff like that, that was just totally irresponsible. And who would have imagined that molasses could do that much damage? It's, it's pretty amazing that only 21 people died. Uh, I, I enjoyed it a lot, too. Uh, I don't read a lot of nonfiction, but I've always kind of liked history. But he, like Bob and others have said, he did an excellent job of of not making the story boring in the way he told it. He almost like in a uh, a narrative form instead of like a textbook. So uh, uh, I really appreciated that. And uh, I have to admit, I've read a lot of books set in World War II area uh, era, but not a lot set during the early the early 20th century when this one was so I, I don't know a whole lot about this time and I like the way he mentioned the Lusitania and then the uh, uh, all that stuff going on with the anarchist and then you know touching on uh, World War one and and how it all how it all tied together to kind of uh, uh, make the story complete and uh, uh, he obviously does his research and I, and I really appreciated that and uh, I, I, I like to see you know, I used to work in business, but I like to see big business, you know, held accountable for 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 stuff because it's obvious. I mean, I, I've become convinced as I've gotten older, they're interested in the bottom line and to hell with everything else. And uh, uh, this was a classic example of that. And I know, I'll say their behavior might have evolved. I'm not, I'm not convinced that it has. I just think there's there's more regulations that that, that tell them what to do nowadays. But uh, uh, they were egregious to the nth degree in, in this example. I mean, I mean, I'm an accountant, and I know better than to put an accountant in charge of building a a structure like this, where you need engineers involved to know what it can hold and not hold and stuff. And uh, uh, it, it was just one thing after another. I, I I just was just shaking my head. I couldn't believe. I mean, the thing was leaking right and left, and it was obvious that it was leaking, and you know, they they just ignored it. And, and it finally, you know, it, you know, it came tumbling down, and it, uh, I, I just, uh, uh, I really liked uh, uh, Hugh Ogden, the guy that was over the uh, the, the arbitrator or whatever you called him. He was like a judge, I guess, and uh, uh, I appreciated him taking it, it, it uh, and, and assigning responsibility and stuff. So, yeah, I thought it was great. Michelle, for not very good computer users like me, literally, where are you when you enter the author's name or the book name? Are you in Google, or where are you? Yeah, it's it's really pretty easy to find podcasts if, if you're interested. I love to hear authors talk. I, I don't know why. Um, when I could read print, I used to read a lot of interviews with authors, and I, I can't really do that anymore. So fortunately, there's a lot of podcasts. So a lot of times if I read a book for a book group, um, and it's a modern author, um, I will put in the author's last name, the title of the book, and the word podcast. 
um, and see if anything comes up. Um, so in this case, I put in Stephen Puglio and podcast. Um, I could find it again, Jill, if you're interested in hearing it, I, and I could send you the link if you'd like to hear the interview. Well, uh, Alan, I have to tell you that even though this was not true crime, I really loved it. Um, I thought it was written so well, and I have always been fascinated by this era. Um, you had so many things happening. You had the flu in 1918 that killed so many people. And this happened in 1919. And you had prohibition coming up. And you had uh, women voting for the first time. There was so much going on in this era. And, of course, World War One, And... Um, I, my experience with molasses, well, I only used it once in baking, and I got this dark molasses, and it was awful. It was so sticky and icky, and then there were two songs that came out about molasses. Some of you may remember, molasses, molasses, it Icky, sticky goo, molasses, molasses, it always sticks to you. And another was black strap molasses and the wheat germ bread. I remembered those songs, and um, so I learned the difference. I didn't know that molasses came from cane sugar. I didn't know that it was a cheaper offshoot and that there were different grades and the black strap molasses was the least grade and that was nasty and it was so interesting that these poor people that the kids collected the molasses and um, brought it home for their, their families to use and the total um, uncaring um, feelings from the people that built the tanks just so that they could um, as as has been said get the, the bottom line with the money that's all they wanted and get the alcohol um, to uh, from the molasses and no care for the people that were living right there on the street with that tank I also thought it it really brought it home when the numbers were emphasized. Uh, you know, well, we know it's a 50-gallon tank. Uh, I mean, 500. I, what am I saying? <laughs> uh, 50, 50 feet high. And uh, the weight compared to, I don't remember how many how many Ford automobiles, you know, tons. Uh, it, it just was mind-boggling, the, the sheer pressure that was uh, brought to bear on this, on this iron tower. <laughs> and uh, the fact that the guy who gave the specifications didn't know anything about constructing a tank, that the whole thing was just just absolutely amazing 
Yeah, I, 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 I just could, couldn't believe that. that they, really, they really ran it through a good test where they put six inches of water in it to test it. And I'm thinking, well, really? I mean, come on. It, it, was, it was unreal. I, I put a link up in the in the text chat. I don't know if this is this is a podcast. It's from something called Fieldstone Common, uh, number seventy six, Dark Tide with Stephen Puglia. He was the guest, so I don't know if that's the same one that Michelle uh, Michelle found or not. But uh, I put I put the link up in the text chat. So hopefully that'll play. Uh, Joni, I would suggest that. This was a true crime book because there was definitely uh, maybe some of it was crime by omission, but it was still crime. There were 21 people who needlessly lost their lives. Um, they knew it was going to happen. They had they they knew they had a problem. They did nothing about it. That's criminal. That's that's true crime. Well, Mickey mentioned this book to me some time ago and I don't know if it was right after you all decided to read it or if it was before that and I thought really I, and I even said to her is, is this real or is this fiction because I've never heard of this before and it sounded quite interesting and then I totally forgot about it um, not that I'm doing anything at all to, to stay busy but um, then uh, gosh, just a few days ago, I think she mentioned it again, and I, I thought, oh gosh, you know, I'm not going to have time to read it. So after hearing all this, I'm going to have to get it and read it because it it sounds like an excellent book. Um, and I do like history, especially when it's not dry and just um, A B C D kind of thing. So, um, and just a, a little note, on a, a little trivia note, um, Joni, you mentioned that um, women would be getting the vote in just a, a couple of years after this event. Um, that's true for the entire country. However, remember that women were given the vote in Wyoming in, I believe it was 1880, it, and I could be wrong, it might have been 1883, but... Um, considerably earlier than they got it in the rest of the country. Yeah, who would have thought Wyoming, leader of the pack on the women's suffrage. Um, I agree with Bob. I like the statistic stuff that they mentioned. I mean, the they mentioned the speed at which the molasses traveled, which I think they said was 35 miles an hour. I mean, it was fast enough to knock the firehouse off its foundation, which is just unbelievable. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, in the end, there were no criminal charges, just a civil suit, which is, is really a shame. I think we've fortunately come a long way since then in terms of hold, holding people accountable for negligence when it comes to consumer protections and stuff. Yeah, I think this was definitely, you know, before all the, the cases that they had against big corporations. So it was it was very, very good case. And I liked all the details about how they rescued people. And, like, one person they rescued because her hair was sort of floating. And it was, it was really very interesting. Um, that is the podcast. It's from uh, Fieldstone Common, which I did not know, but is a history podcast um, for the northeast part of of the United States, and um, another book that he wrote, I didn't listen to the podcast, but he wrote another book called The Caning, and that they also discussed in a, in a different podcast, and I actually like this book so much that I downloaded 
from Bookshare a book called A City So Grand, which has a, a portion of the history of the, of the city of Boston. And I think that would be interesting to read about as well. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the Canings is the most recent one. You know, I, I made a, a pig's breakfast of trying to do a little bio on him. But, uh, uh, yeah, that's his most recent book. And I think that other one you mentioned is, is also listed. He's got like five. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, uh, this was criminal, I think. I mean, I like the fact that he brought out, I mean, talk about premeditation. I mean, they put the tank in a part of town where there was a big Italian community because they knew, you know, they wouldn't even uh, even try to raise a, a ruckus politically because they kept to themselves and and didn't do that. I thought I thought that was very interesting. I mean, these these guys were were, were were trying to save every cent they could and and trying to get to ramrod this thing home, and it, it came back and bit them on the butt basically. But. Uh, uh, it, it, it's just amazing to me what uh, what what companies will, will do to try to get away with, and uh, 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 he he did a he did a good job telling the story, and, and I'm glad I, I'm glad uh, that it it turned out the, the the case turned out it did after such a tragedy, and uh, I, I'm still surprised that you you don't hear more about this because it's. I mean, it's quite an an amazing event just because, I mean, when you hear about a molasses flood, I mean, it's just something people talk about. And uh, uh, first I'd ever heard of it. It's just, uh, uh, it's amazing how it slipped through the cracks. Well, I stand corrected, everybody. I, it was, it was absolutely criminal. And, of course, it was true crime. So, uh, I stand corrected. I thought it was interesting, too, though, that, uh, like, we're blaming the accountant because he had no business even making the decisions he did, although in his defense he did say that there was another tank that was even bigger than that, and it was fine. But n nobody even did a thing about the fact that these specifications that were given, the company that made the tank didn't even follow the specifications. You would have th thought that if they cared at all that the company responsible, you know, who put the molasses there and, you know, that were the, the defendants in the case, you would have thought that they would have gone back and blamed the people that built the tank in the first place. Um, I wanted to mention that um, if you take a walking tour of Boston in the North End, um, they do talk about this flood and show you where, where it happened and stuff. So I'd like to go back and do that again now that I've read this book. Um, another thing about the author, and we've all raved about him, is he was not only good at presenting the facts, but some of the stories about when the people died. And there was that guy in the hospital who told his sister, I think it was his sister-in-law, that you know, I know I'm not going to make it, take care of my wife. I mean, that really brought tears to your eyes. He was a really good writer in that respect, too. And I wanted to mention the caning is about um, Charles Schumer, the uh, senator who was beaten almost to death by some southern senator in, in the Senate. I mean, we think things are bad today. And uh, I assume it's the fallout from that and probably the characters involved. Well, the thing, the thing that I really couldn't believe is you had that that guy that Isaac Gonzalez, I think his name was, that worked at the company. You know, the guy that would do his late night runs to go check on things to make sure the the tank hadn't fallen. And uh, 
I mean, they totally ignored him. I, I guess he was—he must have been an immigrant. I mean, I guess they, they didn't think he knew what he was talking about, or what. But uh, uh, they didn't want to hear anything that uh, that, that was bad news. And uh, uh, I, I would have thought his testimony alone would have been enough to uh, to, to, to turn the case. But uh, uh, I got really frustrated. He'd go in there and t try to talk to that jail character, and. Uh, uh, Oh, no, no, everything's fine. I mean, it's like they thought just by saying the words that the tank was okay, that that made it okay. It's just uh, unbelievable. Well, if they didn't find for the plaintiffs in this case, I don't know when they would find for the plaintiffs because there was so much evidence that the company just was not paying attention to anything. I mean, they, they had leaks all the time coming out of it, um, and and they knew enough to try to, like, you know, painted and cork it and whatever else they wanted to do plus they were warned plus they had an accountant which was really crazy to to you know be in charge of this this whole thing so i don't think they did anything right actually um and so it's not surprising that they came out in favor of the plaintiffs they should have if they didn't then you know and the judge i think was was a really fair-minded you know, he was one of the better characters in the story, Judge Ogden, I guess was his name, um, and he, he really came out, you know, looking looking pretty well as, as well. So you saw they did pretty much everything wrong here, <laughs> nothing right, um, and it was, it was an interesting book. It was an interesting event. I was actually in the north end of Boston a couple of years ago. It's, it's um, they have very tight sidewalks there just one person can go through like so if you're walking along and somebody's coming the other way somebody has to step out inside of the road they're sort of like cobblestone paths um, and they have a lot of bakeries so if you're a fan of bakeries and they're very inexpensive so you could go in and buy like tons and tons of stuff for not that much money it's sort of a mix of like old Italian from years and years ago and then here and there it's a little bit more modern but you definitely I was in the church where Paul Revere came um, you know and, and said the British is coming and, and um, it's, it's, it's a very nice neighborhood it's, it's very it has a really historical feel to it I just wanted to correct myself quickly I, I, about the caning. It's not Charles Schumer. He's a senator now. It's Charles Sumner that was uh, caned near to death back in the 18, late 1850s. Well, something else that I liked about this, I'll admit science is not my, uh, is not my strong suit. I, I, I'm very inadequate in that regard. I had no idea that, that molasses was used to, in, in any kind of industrial process for 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 arms or, or explosives or, or or whatever, I just uh, uh, you know I'm from the South, and when I talk, think about molasses, I think about you know sweetening stuff to eat. But uh, uh, I thought he did a real good job of of tying all that stuff in too. So uh, uh, hats off to to Puglio did a did a did a good job uh, at at covering the various uh, parts of the the story. I too was totally unaware that they used for used molasses for explosives and and. I, I'm thinking that could have made a lot of gingerbread cookies or a lot of oatmeal raisin cookies, you know. Um, the other thing was the title attracted attention. Um, I thought it was interesting that one of the posts on DB Review said I thought it would be humorous. <laughs> Believe me, it was anything but. Um, but the title definitely grabbed your attention once you saw it you tended not to forget it 
Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. He, he did a great job naming it. I, I wanted to read it just to find out what the heck. I mean, with, with a title like that, it was obviously a true story. And I thought, man, a molasses flood? I, you know, I got I to gotta know more. And the poor little children that died and the pain that people were going through. And he, he was so empathic. And you could just feel with um, people that were trapped were going through and it was and and all the injuries that they suffered uh, that really got to me and and also it's obvious that he knows a lot about Italian history in this area because he brought in things like there were different racial categories um, so if you come from northern Italy you'd be more fair-skinned you'd be more tendency to be blonde-haired and blue eyes um, and if you're from the southern part like Sicily or, or southern Italy you'd have darker skin you'd have dark hair you'd have dark eyes and I guess that, which I didn't know at that time they actually considered people from southern Italy to be a different racial category which was very interesting to hear about so he, he knew a lot about that the Italian community you know, in Boston at that time, and it was he, like Jill was saying, he could write historical fiction because he just presented it in a way that it was really, really engrossing and, and interesting to hear. Well, can you guys imagine? I mean, apart from people that were injured and hurt, even if you had none of that, like you were away from your house for the day, there's no way you'd be able to clean up your stuff. I can't even imagine trying to clean molasses off of everything. It would just, you'd never get it off. Uh, that um, discrimination among Italians is still there. Um, we had a family live next door to us just for the summer. They traded houses with, my neighbor traded houses with someone from Italy. And I said, well, we have an Italian community center. You might want to go there. And she got panicky because she found out that they were Sicilian and she isn't, wasn't Sicilian, and she was sure that they were going to kidnap her baby because her, then I found out her husband was head of the Communist Party in Rome. But, but there is still that discrimination. The Sicilians are, are scuzz, according to the Italians. Oh, interesting. Uh, uh, yeah, I think one of, one of Puglio's books is about the Italian community in the Boston area, I think. So I, I don't know. Uh, maybe Puglio's an, an Italian name, but he's, he's, that's obviously a, a subject of interest to him because I don't remember what the title of the book is, but one of his books is, uh, deals with, with the Italians in the Boston area. And uh, uh, I, I can't imagine, I don't like having my hands sticky anyway, and I can't imagine what, I, I can't imagine anything worse than drowning in molasses. I mean, that, that's got a, that, that's that poor firefighter that was, that was trapped under that pool table that was that was talking and just he said I, I I'm gone I can't I can't I can't do it and and then the drowning and stuff I, I and that's just horrible and uh, uh, you, don't you know it's it must have smelled like molasses for decades afterwards so uh, uh, what what a, what a mess and talking about cleaning it up I thought it was really interesting because I, I certainly didn't know this that it had to be the seawater with the salt in it that actually could do the cleaning. Yeah, I didn't know that either, um, and that was very interesting to me as well because I wondered how could they ever get rid of it? 
but I agree that the the smell must have lingered for years and years. Well, they mentioned that, that 30 years from then they could still occasionally smell it. And can you imagine the pollution in the water? They may not have had drinking water for God knows how long, and you, you certainly don't want to drink molasses-infected water. And I mean infected, too. <laughs> Molasses-filled uh, water. You know, it just sounds disgusting. Well, it looks to me, since no one is jumping in with anything, that we've um, discussed it pretty thoroughly. Uh, does anybody have any last comments before we have our great discussion on what we're going to do next month? I just want to thank, uh, I guess, Mickey, it was you that recommended that we read this, and uh, I really appreciate it. It was a, it, it was a great recommendation and a, and, a, and a great read. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. Hearing nothing. Alan, would you like to discuss what we uh, decided for next month? Yes, I would. Uh, Mickey and I had a, a, a talk today, and I think we've picked out our next two books. And I'll I'll lay out what uh, what we're planning on and, and, and get get your thoughts for June twenty first, which is next month. I know we've been hearing a lot about trains in uh, in the news because of the the tragedy that happened in Philadelphia with the uh, with that Amtrak train uh, 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 derailing. And since we've just read uh, a nonfiction this month, uh, I, I apologize. I'm a big fan of Ridley Pearson. I know we're, we're reading his book for, for one of his books for the Mystery Book Group this month. But he wrote a book called Parallel Lies that uh, it's been on Bard since 2010 because I read it back then. And uh, I really like it. Uh, it, it, it. It's got a train. Uh, it, it, it's got a train theme to it. One of the. Uh, it's a suspense fiction, but the but the but the the characters the characters doing stuff to do, doing some stuff to trains, and uh, it's it's actually it's actually read by the author himself, and I think he does a really good job reading it. It's uh, uh, Parallel Lies by Ridley Pearson, DB. Seven zero six two nine, and it's uh, eleven hours and thirty eight minutes, and uh, uh, it's a good story, I think. And then for July nineteenth of uh, for July, we're thinking about uh, Dead Wake, the last crossing of the 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 Lusitania by Eric Larson, who's an excellent writer, and it's uh, DB80936, another non-fiction one, but it kind of ties in, because it's, uh, I mean, the, the Lusitania was sunk in 1915, right, right about the same time our current book was uh, set, so uh, we can get some more uh, historical information about that time period, but uh, comments? Oh, Eric Larson is an excellent, excellent writer. He's another good history writer that just brings it alive and has lots of character-driven information and stuff. I've read all of his other books, so I'll look forward to that one. This next one, is it Parallel Lives, L-I-V-E-S, or Parallel Lines, L-I-N-E-S? And could you spell Ridley Pearson's last name? Yes, it's Parallel Lies, like the opposite of telling the truth, L-I-E-S. And uh, his last name is spelled... P-E-A-R-S-O-N. And uh, let me give, I'll give you the DB number again. Oh, and let me just say, uh, the uh, 
the the Dead Wake one about the the Lusitania that that's the commercial audio book that's what they've got on bar and it's narrated by Scott Brick who's always a he's always an excellent narrator but hang on let me get you the DB number for Parallel Lies uh, DB seven zero six two nine seven zero six two nine Parallel Lies by Ridley Pearson. I read Parallel Lies. It was the first book by Ridley Pearson that I'd ever read, and it really is a good book. Yeah, I've read it a couple of times, Jill. I thought, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I mean, I obviously like the author. I, I, I read s several things by him. I, I just like the way he tells the story, and uh, I really, I really like the train part of it too, because uh, uh, I mean, that's, that, that's just a different, uh, that's a different kind of transportation. It just, it, it's its own kind of kind of thing and I, I, he just did a really good job of, of weaving uh, that aspect of it into the story and stuff. Any more thoughts on the two that we thought we'd suggest to you? Well I want to thank everybody for coming and for the excellent comments. This was a very good discussion. Uh, obviously a great book and uh, I appreciate everybody's comments and thanks for the, uh, the podcast link Michelle. I'm going to try to listen to that too. Thanks guys. You did a great job. The book was terrific. I really really enjoyed it. And hopefully we'll see you in June. Well, this is Mickey Pran. I forgot it to say who I was at the beginning of the podcast, or of, the, of whatever this thing is, broadcast. I am Mickey Pran. My co-host is Alan Lemley. And we hope to see you again on, in, on the third uh, Sunday in June. Thank you for coming.